You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and throughout this entire volume, we've been exploring the 90s, 2000s boy band pop era. And on today's episode, I speak to Jacob Underwood, the product of a reality show turned musical group. The show was called Making the Band, the group was called O-Town, and they found lightning in a bottle with this group, brought together to have a reality show of what happens behind the music, similar to what we do today, but in the boy band pop era. Had never been done, was a precursor to a lot of other shows, musical competition shows such as Pop Idol, American Idol, The Voice, which we explored in season two. And, but within that group, brought together for the music and the TV show, having such hits such as Liquid Dreams, All or Nothing, the smash hit, we fit together. But then the band broke up and the TV show ended in 2003. And similar to other episodes in this volume, that would be the end of it. And we would explore what happened now that Jacob has moved on from O-Town. But that's not the case with this group. With this group, they reformed 10 years later in 2013, releasing two other albums since. So what does happen after the music fades? Sometimes you come back with that maturity and that focus and make something new out of something old. I'm really excited for this conversation with Jacob to close out Volume 3 Dirty Pop. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Jacob Underwood from O-Town. I'm super stoked. Um, was a huge fan of making the band and O-Town, and I'm excited to dig into a lot of stuff. But Jacob, I, how are you doing today? Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Of course. Because we now, there's that a... that's 20 years ago. It's a trip. I know. It is really, really crazy. And there's a lot of like cool, crazy facts that we'll talk about and some things that are going to make all of us feel super old, definitely. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I like to do, and I want to, I like starting out these podcast episodes with, is by asking the artist, um, what does music mean to you? That's a big question. Right. <laughs> How much time? So, um, I mean, it's really been my whole life. Uh, I, from early on, there was only one thing I, other than music I wanted to do, and that was an oceanography, and that was when I was like elementary school. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was always music for me. I never really had any focus on anything else. And and then uh, being able to do it at the level we did it was just a dream come true. And I never saw a TV show in my future. That was just a blessing in disguise. Like we never saw any of that being a part of a reality, a reality show. Um, and being the first at that, I didn't know what was going on half the time. <laughs> it was just a big right. blur. Getting to do it a second time uh, is is even sweeter because we built it and it's our baby and the fans that are around support us like no other. They're like the lifers, you know, the townies. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, music, it's 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 crazy because it's it's my whole life. Um, so to put it in, what's it mean to you is tough. It has been everything I've ever kind of chased out. It's still. Um, my only source of income for my family, believe it or not, yeah. which is a crazy thing to be able to say to do, um, that we can still, after 20 years, make a living at this. Again, thanks to those fans. Um, but I, I do also, like I'm a you know Christian guy, so I think that music is also uh, spiritual and, and it's mm. meant for much more than singing and, and you know, dancing as far as the entertainment value. I think there's a spiritual value to it and uh connection that can come from music that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. No, I, I really like you tapped into something that's right in my sweet spot and what I truly feel anytime that I'm, how do I say, can interacting with music, you know, I, for me, it's, it's very much a, a spiritual experience, especially when the combination's right and you're in the right mood. It's yeah. just, it, it does things to yourself that we've seen, um, scientifically proven makes you better, um, provide sense memory recall. There's a lot of things that help for cognitive development with music. We right. play music for our kids. I mean, all across the board. But then in addition, there's the unmeasurable feelings that we associate to music too. And it takes us back to a place and a time. And it speaks to us in ways that we don't often have the words to use for any particular situation right i mean yeah. and that's that's the trick of it too and the beauty that like you can write something that can give people chills that can make people cry that on a whim can change their mood and that's not something that can really just be recreated i mean it's the perfect combination of lyrics and melody and hitting somebody at the right time and those moments are so powerful and so I, I think there was a lot of attraction too of being the person that can bring those emotions out in people or connect with certain things. Um, that was always it was always just powerful. You could see it in church and when people were crying and it, right. and as you grow older and you have more life, um, just perspective, you feel the same way. And there's just so many things that you can connect to on different levels, and for some reason, reason the you know, gospel music is just gets me right away. It's not yeah. it's not hard there. Yeah, it's good. It's tapping into that, I, I think, core human element that we have, which is we want to, and this is what, this is kind of my interpretation of what I feel when I listen to music and what I feel when I'm interacting with other folks is that when I've got music that moves me, such as you were talking about gospel music moving you, it taps into this core aspect of who I am, which is I want to connect with, you know, my fellow folks here on this earth and, and make a better world and leave it better than I found it and just do good work and really connect with everyone. Yeah. And it's this almost communal spiritual feeling. And that's what it, I tap into. And that's what it means to me. And I, and I think truthfully, 
it can be a little overpowering at times where it's it's almost like, and I've described this on a previous episode with Nate Cole from Plus One, who was on this volume as well, um, that when I listen to a lot of music that moves me in those ways, sometimes I almost need to take a break. It's like it's like I've been getting a spiritual workout, so to oh, speak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. exhausting at times. You can't put that on just for for pleasure all the time. I mean, it really is, it's, in, it's powerful. Right. Um, and I put on different kinds of music to suit the mood. Of course. I mean, most of the time I'm listening to like stick figure on their, their radio, you know, reggae type stuff. Cause I'm we're right. at the beach cruising on the golf cart. And you want to listen to the, <laughs> that kind of music, yeah. listen to imagine dragons radio when it's time to work out. But um, yeah, you're right. right. It's time to work out your mind and soul and, and feel connected to something bigger than uh, work or, or the day to day. The gospel yeah. music, Christian music—that's that's what does it. You know, I've been on a uh, on a kick lately of uh, Bastille, listening to a lot of Bastille, and yeah. and you know, they're they've got one of the songs that really resonated with me a lot. And I know this isn't a Bastille podcast, but they have a song called "Good Grief," and I read um, the lead singer t- talking about writing the song and talking about how we have a negative association with grief, and it it. it occurs because something tragic has befallen us, whether a loved one or somebody else has passed away, we have, or a situation has happened, we have this grief. And he said, but I wanted to talk about the effect of being able to process that grief and remember the good times and really work through that emotion through song and then kind of come out the other side with a, a good, better, like almost closure sense. Yeah. And that's something that I feel when I listen to that song and it has that powerful effect on me and i i just i love the that feeling that song certain songs and certain type of music can have on an individual for sure i mean that that's that's what we look for to that's what we try to do in pop music we don't look for necessarily the soul searching but we always make a joke in the studio make them laugh or make them cry like the song the sad song <laughs> should really like be pulling and the dance song should just make you want to get up and dance you can't help yourself right. but you know we're always trying to make it Make the music give you a feeling, a sensation that's overwhelming, not just, oh, that was nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I know, definitely. Well, I want to start talking about some of the early days for you. Now, as I recall, you didn't have um, uh, certain like professional musicians or anybody in your band or in your family. It was, it was really what you got started by doing theater in elementary school. Is that correct? Yeah, right. Your first forays. Okay. Yeah, school play. Yeah. Yeah. So now walk me through some of the initial attraction to wanting to pursue music. And I know like, you know, early days, it's not even like, oh, I want to be a pop star. Or I want to do this. It's more of the, like, you're drawn to something. Cause that's how I was kind of with theater and other art was I was drawn to, and I wasn't necessarily sure exactly what was pulling, but I knew that there was something there. So I'd love to know what were some of those early, um, di- um, pulls for you in that direction. Yeah. Well, my, yeah, mine was a, I guess somewhat standard for some people. It's, so I, I started young. Uh, my dad sang around the house, um, and he when he left, when my parents split, we had uh, finals like you know Stevie Wonder and stuff around. So I would always sing, and we'd always, sure. him and I would always sing when we visit and in the car and stuff while we're driving around. And uh, in school, we had a school place, and we said, "Hey, you should get your to my mom. You should get your son in voice lessons." So she goes, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't know about that." So she started me yeah. in, in voice lessons and. And, you know, I was doing, like, Italian arias and classical stuff, so it never really got me going. Um, I think it wasn't sure. I, I, It wasn't until – so, and all through this time, it was, like, elementary and junior high, I was hooked on Michael Jackson. 
just oh, hands yeah. down like the the magnitude of his shows and the showmanship and the dancing and the i mean the music of like, it just a to z it just got me like going i was like oh my gosh i want to do that and, like not just i want to do that like i want to be that guy like that guy right. is so cool he was just the coolest guy yes and so in elementary school that's really what it boiled down to me it wasn't like oh i want to be the best guitar player i started piano and i start i was playing saxophone but music like playing it didn't excite me as much as being up there on the stage like he was being able to perform. So right. that was like what drew me into music uh, originally. So, and then you get into like garage bands and I started picking up guitar more and like being, okay, this is, I like the garage thing. I like the musicianship of it. So I kind of did the reversal. Like I just at first wanted to just be a showman. And then I was wanting to be a musician later um, after more O-Town time and living in Nashville and, learning that you, you know, I'm definitely not a musician because <laughs> if you call yourself a guitar player in Nashville, they will expect a whole lot from you. But right. you know, I learned I learned a lot out there like number charts and how to, you know, write a better song and, and just better ear, all those things. Um, but that was more my journey to getting into O Town and why it kinda was a good fit was I was more focused on performing than I was sure. playing any instrument. My instrument, piano, still playing piano and guitar back then, I was just doing a lot of writing. I wasn't I wasn't playing on stage. Um, so it fit, and I wasn't trying to be in a boy band. It was like a kind of happenstance experience. Right. Like a buddy yeah. sent in a tape, I got a call back, I went to hand out some of my demos like from being in, in the garage band, and then right. lo and behold, throw it on stage, they call me back again, call me back again. I was like, oh, I guess I'm gonna do this. This is. This is like kind of right up my alley because I've been dancing for a while and singing like this. So I, and harmony is like a, something I'd love to do in high school. I'm like this seems like right up my alley. I could probably do this right. pretty well. <laughs> and that was like kind of how I got into O Town. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, wasn't too aware of the boy band culture before that. Right. Now backing up just a little bit, I want to revisit the fact that you know you talked about being in garage band. So so you you were in O Town. Was that how old were you around that time? Was it around 18, 17? I was 18. Is that? I, I, I 18. was 18 and, and then turned 19 fairly okay. quickly. Gotcha. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So while you were in high school, so you've had that first foray into music and you've started voice lessons and you're doing this. So walk me through that specific time period between elementary and high school. What were some of your, your musical stops along the way? I know you talked about writing quite a bit as well. And yeah. You were playing yeah. piano so and saxophone. All three of those things were going on at once. Like I had, I had, okay. I had stopped doing a lot of the um, classical training, um, but I was working at a restaurant at the time and my grandpa would come in and demand I sing an Italian aria at the table and then that got the manager to make me do it at every table. So I, and I never got away from that. Um, so that was like, you know, I did like the little competition thing with the, the classical the arias and then I, I did, it wasn't for me. It was, I didn't like the, the whole vibe. Um, uh, from there, it was a garage band with some buddies that we met through work and that was more like rock music. You know, we were listening right. to Tool at the time and like, oh, nice. uh, kind of doing the Limp Biscuit-esque thing before that was huge you know like that sure, was like yeah. fun in the garage type music and uh and it had a little reggae twist because we're in san diego so sure. just experimenting and this was the first time i had played with a band of musicians where like you play drums you're the drummer that's your specialty and you know sitting in a room and having all the specialties and this is again in nashville we're just blown away by the talent how they work together 
uh, in pop music, I'm contrasting it. You know, we usually sit down one guy, maybe two, and you're hammering out drums on the keyboard, and then you're playing the parts on the keyboard, and you pick up the guitar, and you're kind of doing it as a two-man or maybe one-man team. Where with the with the um, with our band, I got to learn the specifics of it and what a bass player brings to the table when you're like, here's what I'm thinking, and they're like, okay, cool, here's some changes I'm thinking of, and like everybody kind of puts in their two cents based on their knowledge of yeah. their instrument, and it becomes a pretty cool product. So I was learning that at the time, um, which is why I thought it was funny that my buddy sent in. A, my tape to a boy band audition i was like dude don't even start with me making right. fun of me because you think i'm pretty but uh i'm not singing that kind of music i'm not into right. it like it was a it was a joke I, they did these commercials on the radio so right. everybody heard these commercials kept jabbing at me it was like this is perfect for you go do it I'm like don't even start like, uh so that's it was that. funny how it happened but uh uh, the harmonies part came more through high school because uh, I was in a competition like choir there. That's how sure. I was able to transfer schools to get to a school with all my friends on it. it was <laughs> I was gonna? They had a competition like type ensemble, and there was a lot of comp- competition within the school. It was there? There was like a, you know one the highest ranked choir you had to be a junior or a senior to be a part of, and they really took it seriously. So that was cool for me to sit in those. Uh, I did music theory through that school also, um, and those a- the AP music theory classes taught me things that I never really even considered in music, and how you know sure. staying away from parallel octaves and all these like rules. So it got me to think of music a, a lot more mathematical. Um, but I brought that knowledge of those things and in, in harmonies, and then you know dancing and all those things through uh, through those years into O-Town. Yeah. I think that's super cool to 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 talk about the 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 almost mathematical aspect of music and not not boiling down something that's an art and spiritual into um <clears throat> facts and numbers but more to say like look there is a almost like complicated equation in the way in which you can manipulate these notes in order to get something even cooler and beautiful or different um well, you're, you're talking out. about like yeah. a lot of a lot of the Christian records and gospel records we, we talk about come out of Nashville, and right, those sessions are mathematical. I mean, the number chart, everything is math, and and a lot of the times they're not even listening to the song before they lay down a track for it because they can read the math and they can read what the mood, the mood is and what it should feel like just by the numbers, and right. that blew me away because a lot of you know when you're young you're relying on that mood, trying to find those you know, imaginary, imaginary chords that are going to make this mood. And then you, you get older and learn the instrument more. And you're like, really, the mood, the mood I want is a mathematical equation. And right. if you want me to write a blues song, it's one, four, five. You know, if you right. want me to write a pop song, it's in, and you just, you can lay out these equations that, I, I mean, as soon as I start playing these chords, you're going to go, well, it's, it's a blues song. Well, of course it is. I'm playing the math of those chord progressions. So it cut a lot of the guessing how to music which was cool but it did take a lot of those like youthful like i'm just feeling it man i'm just feeling it but you're not really sure what you're doing you're just uh, you're just feeling it yeah Yeah, i'm just (laughs) there's a lot of good in that too i say it's wrong yeah it's just different through the years of being in music how i have changed to view it and, and combine those viewpoints right that's what i that's what i was gonna get to and i love that i think you have to have the first one in order to almost like gateway into music, right? And then you're in there, it's like, great, you've got the passion, the enthusiasm, the raw skill, 
great. Now let's teach you the skills to take it to the next level. And that's and then, how it is you, with voice too. I think the best teachers were, you can't really teach somebody who doesn't have an ear how to sing because it's an ear vocal connection that you are just born with. And that's where I right. kind of boil it down to. You can teach a, a good singer how to sing better, how to play their instrument, use their instrument better. Um, and that's, yeah, if, if some people don't have the ability to feel music or, or think that creating it is beyond them. But, um, and to those people, I would go straight to the math. I wouldn't, yeah. I would say, if you want to learn music, you don't need to feel it. It doesn't need to be, you, I could teach you the math. And if you're a mathematical person, you'll blow everybody away because they'll be feeling it. You don't have to. Right. Um, yeah. But if, if you do have that gift and you know how to like, how to really uh, perform a song and how to really convey your emotion through even other people's words, if you didn't write it, um, that's a whole gift too. Yeah. I totally love that. I want to, talk on as we are as we are getting ready to wrap up this segment and head into the next one i want to talk a little bit about the camaraderie aspect of being in your band so i know that you know there's been several different artists on here some solo some in groups and um talking with chris and talking about how it was uh chris kirkpatrick how the draw of being in a group is what really um that drew, he loved being able to work on songs with other guys, collaborate, bounce ideas off of, have that kind of almost like team-esque sports aspect of the group. Was that a draw for you or was that something that was just a happy byproduct? What was your perspective with forming the garage band you had? Well, oh, with the garage band or O-Town? Right, with garage, the garage, garage band, band and then how that translated into O-Town. Well, yeah, with the garage band, it was... It was uh... It was great for the reasons I had described before, you know, mm -hmm. getting to learn how other people saw their instrument and different things they can add through their perspective and their knowledge of just focusing on one thing. Like, you just play guitar. You be the best guitar player you can. I'll be the best singer I can. You be the best drummer. And everybody comes together and we add, and that's what the band is. Um, what was different, though, about being in O-Town was everybody was a singer. Right. They all wanted my job. Right. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I went from... You know, having background harmonies here and there, uh, some support, but no, I, I sang the whole song always top to bottom. Uh, right. So the, to then go to O-Town and have four other singers that sing awesome, and now you're battling parts, and sometimes it comes down to not even who can sing it. It's this, you have the right tone for this, and you have the right tone for this. So I was right. pretty frustrated because I didn't know how to be in a group like that, especially in the beginning. I, sure. I didn't know how I fit in. I just kept saying, well, if you don't want me on the song, if you don't think I sound right, then either you know, take me out of the band and give me songs you think I sound good if I don't sound good in the band or bring more songs in that I sound good. But I'm here to be a singer and I'm not singing on songs. And I didn't know my how to find my place for a while. Um, it was battling because it was really tough. I never growing up thought I would be in a band with a bunch of singers. Yeah. So it was weird. And, and not just like, in my future, I, I always imagined I would have a music career and I didn't think it would be in a vocal band. So right. it was tough for me to figure out how my career would feel and look to me now after rethinking it in a group where some records that are singles, I don't even rarely sing, hardly sing on. So it was, it was weird at the beginning, but I look back on camaraderie as a whole in being in a band and I feel sorry for solo artists. I truly right. feel sorry for solo artists because it is hard to bring around a, uh, a crew of people. Uh, it's expensive. Um, it, it's really tough to be alone all the time and to be the only one. I mean, even if artists have the, the entourage, they're not like doing everything you're having to do. 
they're not right. feeling the pull you're having to your feeling and the, the weight of, you know, when everybody takes their break and kind of can breathe it out and have a drink. Now is when you're putting on a show. And then from there, you're right. getting pulled and pulled. So to have other guys in the band that know exactly where you're at and be able to support each other and to travel together, it's uh, it really is. A, it's hard to imagine being a solo artist. It's hard to imagine not being in a band after after doing it like this so many years. I love it. Well, that's a good place to stop it for this segment. You're listening to After the Encore. We'll be right back after this. Back to After the Encore, I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Jacob. And really, Jacob and I are kind of fitting together in this uh, podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, And now we're going to talk about all of it. Um, we're not going to leave anything out. You know, We're just going to do it there. I'm trying to make these puns. They're not quite working as well as I have in my head, but <laughs> it's all good. Let's just skydive into this next part. Um, oh, that, see, that all right, was done. There was we good. go. There we go. Third time's a charm. Um, but let's talk about, let's talk about O-Town. So now you're, you've, you've got the band, your buddy submitted the tape of you jokingly. Did you get called in to show up for the auditions? Is that what ended up happening? Yeah. And then I, was working at okay. Taylor, I was working at Taylor guitars at the time, building guitars and cause they were based in El Cajon. And, uh, I got a call at the shop cause my mom didn't even know I was auditioning and she got a call at her house and she's like, did you audition for something? Like, Oh yeah, I, I, Rob sent something, and she goes, "You got a call back." I'm like really? <laughs> You're like it's up in LA, and you it's next weekend or whatnot. So yeah, I mean, I got kind of excited at the point that I had never done an audition uh, in LA before. That was the first one. I'm from San Diego, so it was always like, "Oh, one day I'll go up there and, and start some stuff." Right. So this was the first. And you're audition. in San Diego currently, right? I when, am. When yeah. you get that call. Yeah, or when you yeah. got the call. Yeah, I keep uh, exactly. I I was living here and, and am again. It's hard to leave here. <laughs> not trying to. No, I love it. So, so you got that, you got that call and they want you to come up to LA and you think like, all right, well, this is a bit of a lark. I mean, I guess, all right, I got a callback, whatever that means. And I'll at least get to go and, and promote my own band with these. That was the thought. Are gonna be there. That was the thought. I'll bring some demos and pass it around. And I almost didn't go that morning. Truthful. And my best friend from back then, I was with him. And he had to go to work. He's like, if you don't go, you're just going to be sitting in my house by yourself. I'm like, all right. Because it just seemed <laughs> like, point. so this is before GPS <laughs> and, and like, you know, figuring out how to get around in LA to me was like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to yeah, go driving point. around. Like, 
this is just a callback. I don't know how serious it is. So, and he made that pitch, so I left. And that was like 10 a.m. I don't get back till 10 p.m. So he had now again Whoa. no cell phones, no none of that. Yeah. He's calling my mom like Jake's lost in L.A. He is dead in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> he has not called me. He's not like nothing. I can't reach him. Nothing. Well, I'm in interviews and doing the thing all day. So I had, you know, I think I had a pager at the time. Uh, so yeah, everybody was super worried. Um, but I, I walk up and this is, it was the Hard Rock, which is now, I guess, uh, demolished, Trevor just told me. The, the, oh, wow. The original building where the, the, the LA auditions took place. So I walk up and there's a line of people wrapped around the building, like a thick line of people. And I went, nope, I am not standing <laughs> in this line. I knew I shouldn't have come. This is a big waste of time. So I walk up to the guy that the headphone in at the front. I was like, is this the line for the auditions? And he says, yes. I'm like, okay. He goes, are you on the, on the list? I'm like, what list? Oh, maybe. I don't know. So I gave him my name. He goes, yeah, you're on the callback list. You got to go to the front of the line. I'm like, all right. Well, <laughs> okay. I, guess I can I, do that. I guess yeah. I will sing today. Sure. <laughs> it makes me, I'm telling you the line was huge. It was like, nope. Were they doing open calls as well? Yeah, so the op- okay. the, the line was for the open calls, which thank God okay. I asked because uh, that would have turned me off. I was like, I'm not standing here with like thousands of people in yeah. the sun to just to sing for who knows who. Um, right. And this is before any of the idol things, so there's nothing to go on. I'm like, and I'm right. not one. Obviously, my personality is not one to go do like some cat call audition. I'm just not into it. Right. So I went, <laughs> I go out, thank God. He goes, okay, but he puts me in the front of the line. And they hand me a list of songs. He says, you got to sing one of these songs on the list because they were pre-qualified for TV. And yeah. I didn't know any of the songs. They were all boy band songs. It was Lose in Sync. It was Backstreet. You know, all oh, that's this. right. We talked about that you didn't like, you weren't listening to this type of music. No. Yeah. So he, that's right. he hands me all those songs because those, those are the songs Lou had clearance for at the time for the TV show. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know any of these songs. Of course, he looks at me like a jackass. He's like, you got five <laughs> minutes. Go downstairs. Pick a song. You got to sing one of these songs. So I go down and I picked Tearing Up My Heart. And I'm sitting there like trying to learn these lyrics. I'm like usually good at it, but I did get nervous because I'm like, okay, this is a bigger deal. I saw all the production set up now and now yeah. I see what I'm about to go sing for. And now right. I'm getting nervous. So I'm like, <laughs> oh God, I got to remember these lyrics. So I go up and all I get is thank God what they aired on the show. All I got was, it's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. That's it. Have you played instruments either? Uh, I've written a song on the piano and I play, I play guitar more. I'm more acceptable on that. He builds rock guitars. You build guitars? Yeah, last, like two weeks ago we made one for uh, Jewel, Lenny Kravitz, Kenny Loggins. But ever since I was five, that's all I wanted was to be a professional musician. Like, I want to be like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Forever, ever since I saw Captain EO. He is so driven in music, it's unbelievable. It just touches my heart when I see him. Lord has something special for him. You know, there's just, there's not a question. I've known that from him when he was little. Okay, boys, let's take from the top. Tear up my heart. Tearing up my heart when I'm with you. And I look blank, blank face, just, uh, I forgot. So thank God they were gracious enough. They're like, do you know anything that's like, uh, you know, that's, uh, what, like gospel or they named a few others and I said, oh yeah, Amazing Grace. Yeah, I can do that one. So uh, that ended up being my audition song, thank God. And then they were like, hey, can you dance? I said, throw on a beat. So I <laughs> did some freestyle and that, so that day was just one interview after the next, after the next. Um, right. right. Yeah. That's and when Trevor so, and I met. We're the first, okay. the, the only two that 
met at the audition and made it to the band all the way. That's crazy. So now let's go through, cause there's a lot to cover kind of in this, in this portion. And so I kind of want to dip in and out of some of the, the highlights, but let's, let's fast forward a little bit to when they made the announcement for the five guys that made, that made the final cut. So they've been doing on the couch, so yeah. right on the couch. Yeah. So we're, so for those who aren't aware, Making the Band was a reality show that really took you behind the scenes of forming a boy band group, um, which had never been done before at that time, really revolutionized reality TV competition shows. And as I recall, Simon Cowell, I think, was in some of the record discussion meetings um, with yeah, y'all. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Him and Clive Davis worked together. He put That's together right. Westlife. They were on the, you know, the same label. Yep. So he brought him in from Europe when we did our audition at Clive's house in upstate New York. Uh, Simon right. Cow was at his house waiting for us to, to hear us sing and, and see what we had because Clive trusted him after putting together a group as successful as Westlife. Right. He trusted his opinion on us. So we had met him then, and he was like, what are these cameras here for? Because we were shooting the show at Clive's house even. Right. Uh, they got our. They, they didn't really air any of it, which is kind of a bummer. But they got the whole process of him. We walk in, we meet. He sits us down in his movie theater and shows up. Shows us some of his highlights from his career, and then we sang and we yeah you know, we hung out all afternoon. And Simon was cool. He just we kind of kept asking why the cameras were there, what they're doing. We're trying to explain to him it's a reality show. Would they pick this at an audition? And and like he was really more into why the cameras were there and what they were capturing of us than anything. Right. Which yeah. is amazing looking back on it because he goes and right. creates Pop Idol, which at all the overseas Idol, American, Idol, American yeah. Idol here once it was successful. But yeah, uh, you know, it can't help but feel like some of that and all those questions got his mind turning and uh, Exactly. You know, he focused more his show on the audition process right. than the reality of, you know, guys in a house living together, which was kind of like the road rules, real real world type yeah, thing, right? Uh, which made sense because our producers were the same. Right. It, it gave it that that like audition, living in a house close together, and you kind of had that dynamic where his was more focused just on that that audition process. Right. Um, but yeah, but it, love, it's crazy to yeah. see how it's progressed over the years. Yeah, and I really love that making the band really was the precursor. I mean, you've seen, like you said, Pop Idol, you've got American Idol, you got X Factor, you've got The Voice, and the last season of this podcast was people that had been on The Voice, and so kind of hearing this like retrospective of like their full careers and time on The Voice, and then here is what kind of predated all of that is just an interesting kind of two bookends for yeah. that conversation. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see it where it's come in twenty years, right? <laughs> Definitely. And then, so now, so that was just for, if you're listening this far and have no clue what's going on, that's, that's uh, for the one person that doesn't know what's going on there. That was for you. But, but now going back to when they announced, when they had all of y'all, the final, was it eight? I think eight of us lived in a house together um, for, man, I want to say six weeks, eight weeks, a long time. Right. Uh, and, and audition the whole way. They didn't cut it down to five till the very end. So you really saw a lot of competition and you saw the personalities coming out. Um, and then, you know, who was getting along more than others because that had a lot to do with who was in the band. Um, right. There was a lot of a lot of interesting drama and then a lot we learned after the fact because this was when the third wall was a real thing. Um, I, you know, <laughs> third wall, when you were shooting reality back then, there was no discussing anything with the crew. There was sure. there was no discussion. There was they were video, there to tape you. They were not there to have any 
like impact on what was going on. Almost like a documentary film crew. It was. If you wanted to go anywhere, if I wanted to go anywhere, any of us, we had to pick up what we called the bat phone, which we called the secret room in the house. And we'd say in two hours, you have to give them like a window, in two hours, we want to go to dinner here. And they would have to call ahead and clear everything. It was a massive orchestration. Uh, And there was no say between storyline. Like they just caught it, caught it and edited it how they saw fit. And months and months and months months of footage. Uh, so it was done very differently the first season because it was when reality show really felt like reality show. Uh, the second season, right. you started uh, having a little bit more say because we're on the road and our schedule is so packed that it would be like, okay, you can only film today between you know 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. and you can only right. be on stage for one or two of the songs because we at that point we're now thinking past the TV show, we don't want to ruin the show for the crowd. Um, Right. When in the beginning, I mean, we had sometimes like three cameras on stage running between us and surprised people even like had fun watching it. Yeah. But I want I want to talk about the time on like when they announced the 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 five of y'all that made the group. What was that feeling like for you waiting to hear your name? Because you've been you've been at this process for a while, auditioning, competing, really putting everything out there. What was it like when they when you finally heard your name read as you're in the group? I just want to sit and chat with you guys. Okay, here's the way it's going to work. Um, first of all, I just want to tell you that the two that don't get accepted will have letters given saying that the contract's null and void as far as you're concerned. The hard part is what we're coming to now. And we all know that when we signed on for this, me included, it was going to come down to today. And I don't look where five guys win, two guys lose. I just look at five guys part of this group and two guys hopefully have other opportunities it's uh i know a little late but i'll stay here as long as you want me to before i reach down for that envelope i'll do it now do it now please yeah okay are you ready okay So I'm going to be announcing the five guys. First one. Oh my God. Ikaika. I knew it. Ever since me and Ikaika resolved the issue between us, I put him on the five. Next one. Jacob. Jacob's a shoo-in. By singing, by dancing, by stage presence, by charisma, by look, he's got all five wrapped up around his finger. Next one, Ashley. Ashley Angel. Beyond the fact that he's got that awesome talent, he's got that look that's just gonna sell, 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 sell. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt so privileged at that moment to be in the final cut, to be part of the band that Tears just started coming to my eyes, and I never would have expected that I would have reacted that way. Sits back down, we're sitting there holding hands again. Blue starts to talk again, he says. I can't begin to tell you how hard. I just want to let you guys know again how difficult this was. It goes on and on for like three or four minutes. Meanwhile, the four of us that had been picked are like, shut up, Blue, shut up. God, I'm proud of that. You should be proud of that. Every one of you. Next person. 
Eric. Eric is one of the ones I really, I want, I want him to make it. I want to make it with him. I want to be in the group with Eric because Eric's got such a big heart and he's so reaching out for that, that connection, that like being tight, you know, being brothers and stuff like that. And that's going to be so healthy for us as a group. It's down to the last name. There's three guys sitting there and it hit me. I was like, oh my God, right now, two guys are going to be so sad. This is the hard part. And it's so hard for me. I just want you to know. And this is the final person, obviously. Trevor. Unbelievable. It was, oh, it was the greatest moment of my life ever. I'm so happy. <laughs> a dream come true is all I could say. It's all I could say. <laughs> I mean, I want everyone to be in this group, but I know Trevor put his heart out into everything he does, and I know he wanted it so bad. <laughs> I couldn't be happier for the rest of the guys, and I think that the five guys that were chosen were the guys that were meant to be chosen, and I'm so happy to have known them. Better make you proud of it. I'm not kidding. I want to be proud of all of you. Be watching you. Pray for everyone all the time. All the time. Brian and Mike were bigger men than all of us because they probably wanted to cry at that moment, and they didn't for us. They wanted us to enjoy our moment. It was so admirable of them to react that way. One, two, three, all down. Um, I can't. I, I remember being mixed in my emotions about it because if you if you see that season specifically, we had already had that uh, episode. We had already had a lot of issues with the Kaika, and right. I didn't did really want him in the band based on the issues he was causing, which right. a lot of stuff I didn't know about, you know, after the fact. So this was just what I knew. It's like. It's only I can only react to what I knew. I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. So they kept that from me and built up a lot of drama with the things that he was doing to cause grief for the band to make things harder. So I'm like, I don't want to be in the band with that guy. Right. And, you know, I could feel it that they were going to put him in the band. And mainly, probably because I really didn't want to and they loved the TV drama of it. He was a great singer and dancer. And it's not like I didn't want to disqualify him that way. But, um, you know, Dan wasn't in the final the final five or final eight. And right. I thought that was a massive misjudgment based on... Well, there was no, like, drama. Exactly, unquote. based on character. So it, to me, it yeah. was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of pissed now because I'm seeing how my music career is going to suffer from this TV show they want to put on. And they're putting, in my opinion, people that aren't as good as others I've seen based on the fact they're not dramatic. And that was going to directly hurt the band. So I'm really right. glad that we could circle back and bring Dan in, for instance. But... Ikaika was causing problems, and I'm like, look, this is going to be a long haul. We're signing a record deal. We've got to live together. We're like, like tour together. I mean, we're going to see each other every day, and I can't even get along with this guy in two months. So right. I, wasn't, I wasn't super stoked. I, I, I did feel that I was going to be in the band. You can watch like the episode. Everybody kind of thought I would be in the band, so I wasn't thinking like, 
what, what am I going to feel like if they call my name? I'm going to, I'm thinking like, am I going to accept this if he's in too? And how yeah. long can I wait to sign the contract before we really see if he's in or not? I was really like looking long term. I didn't think, sure. I didn't think he was in it for the long haul. And I didn't feel like signing my career away to a band with one guy that's like already ready to quit. <laughs> so. Right. I cannot be here any longer. I'm officially not going to be here. I just wanted to tell you guys that. I thought the group was perfect with Kaika, the five of us. I thought the group was perfect. Um, obviously not. So, <clears throat> it has nothing to do with you guys. It's just, I like to sing, I like to dance, I like all you guys. It's just, there's too much other stuff going on on the side that I can't, I don't want to deal with already. Just talking with the, dealing with the lawyer, having to deal with the lawyers, having to deal with, you know, Lou, having to deal with, with all the other people besides you guys has just been too much for me already. And it's time for me to just get out of a situation that is not, is not nourishing for me. I tried, I tried to stick it out so far. And um, at first, I came back because, not because I wanted to, but because everybody else wanted me to. And um, that was the wrong thing to do. I wish I could be with you guys. And I wish it, that it didn't have to be this way. I feel like all you guys. This is ultimately the final, final decision. Yeah. Okay. Don't think you changed your mind. He looks back and says he made the right decision because I really would hate for him to live his whole life, you know, in regret because he didn't make a decision on his own. And that's a good that's a good point to thinking about the the reality show of it all, right? I mean, I think you know this was in some ways, in some respects, it was definitely. Um, capturing what was popular at the time, the kind of boy band pop scene and making a TV show of start to finish. And the music almost at times felt like a byproduct. Like, well, it's great if they're highly successful. They may not be, but at least we've got the drama and the TV show. And this is what happens behind closed doors, all that aspect and the re capital R reality or a little r reality of it, whatever you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. The reality Real TV of it is is what drives a lot of the those crucial decisions, which can be extremely frustrating. And I think you know that was something talking about the season with the voice. Um, several of the people that have been on there, I know, like Cody Blue and Cole Bosbury and Tony Luca, have talked about times where you know wanting to really focus on the music of it all, whether it's competing or auditioning or singing and then having producers say, well, but it would be really great if you said this or if you did this, yes, of course, or, yeah. you, you know, with Tony and, and the manufactured drama with Christina on stage. And I mean, all of that, you know, back when he was on the show and it was something where it was like, well, this would be really great if you did this, it'd be great for you. And it's like, well, it'd be great for the show. I'm less sure that it would be great for my musical career. If I uh, yeah. And decisions. that's like, there's like, there's a fine balance that retrospects amazing. And <laughs> we all have right. a very good one that there's a balance where the TV show drives sales and it drives recognition and it can drive your career. But of course it's not going to be your focus because you're focused on the music. 
right? right? But there's two paths to getting what you want. If the music isn't necessarily hitting and you don't have somebody in your corner putting out the great music, but you have somebody in your corner trying to make good TV and, and get your, your name at least out there to recognize, well, you can parlay one to the next. Sure. Blue in the beginning and like ABC, Disney, they were wanting to make a TV show. We, of course, wanted to make music. If I would have right. looked at it, though, going, well, we don't have a major label yet, but we have them making a TV show, I probably would have been much more amped to to do, uh, you know, to be more involved. Because I, I sure. definitely took a backseat to a lot of things and just was like, look, I'm here for the music. I don't want to be a part of the show. And looking back on it, it's like, well, every time the show aired, our record sales would go up and we'd be back on tour. So I didn't understand yeah. that as a kid. I didn't understand of course. how one feeds the next and, you know, if it, One's not hot all the time. You can move to the next and, and keep it going that way because MTV loved the shows. They were playing it on Thanksgiving weekends. Everybody would see yeah. it, and, and then our tours would be great. It would be, it would yeah. be a lot yeah. of fun. We did get in a pinch, though, when uh, we were recording our second album, and Clive wanted us to be in the studio, and the show wanted us be, to be down in Mexico party because they were in, you know, talking about their MTV-type party show that they wanted to make. And we were stuck in that. And Clive's like, look, if you go do the show, then we're going to drop you from the label. And the show's like, well, if you don't go down, then we're going to cancel the show. So we were definitely stuck in a spot where you have to pick. And of course, being musicians, we're going to pick the music. Right. But looking back on it, um, you know, the way that that record got fumbled and the budget and everything else, it might have been beneficial to do the show. <laughs> because the show... <laughs> The shows like the the shows that they did do after like Jersey Shore and these others like they they went on for seasons and seasons and you have people that aren't recording music aren't doing product like that, uh, but they still have their name recognition. So uh, it, it's right. tough to say which would be the better choice. We obviously made the music uh, choice, and I don't regret it. Um, but that's how it played out for us. We got stuck in that measuring match. Kind of limbo. Yeah. yeah. I think it can be really difficult to to quantify success in that space, and that's that's what we like to do here on After the Encore is really figure out like what does success mean to you, the individual, and you, the collective, and et cetera. And I think it can look different ways. So in an alternate universe, you did stay with the TV show, and the TV show continued for however long it continued, and that was great. But what does the music look like at that point? Are you are you writing anything? Are you only having all of these manufactured songs that, you know, people are chipping into because they want to get a quick, fast single on the radio when the show airs? Like, who knows, right? And and does it even stay about music or does it now evolve that you're not even doing music? It's a, it's a side side venture. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. You, you never, you know. You'll never really know. Um, right. You'll never really know. Yeah. We, we chose what we thought was the right decision at the time. And regardless, you know, who knows how it would have been, uh, how it would have turned out any other way. Right. But, but we did what we thought was right at the time. We, we were signed yeah. to Clive Davis. That was like a dream of ours to begin with. Um, and the show, you know, kind of fizzled out and did its thing. But um, right. I still think he gave us some great songs on the second record. Times had changed. Napster happened. We spent a ton of money because we were still working on, you know, pop budgets from the late 90s. And, and now it's 2000 two uh, a lot happened from 2000 2002 in the music business yeah yeah no a hundred percent and i think you know it's looking back and especially looking at the most recent records that y'all have put out i personally and selfishly am very 
glad that y'all chose the music decision because there is some solid gold there um, with regards to the, not just the music, but the soul of the music. Oh, thank and you. yeah, you're welcome. And it just feels, it feels very, um, it feels that you're saying something. And I think that comes across really easily in some of the, some of the songs such as like, you know, um, OTWN, uh, for instance. Love and Cause I know where you are Don't matter how far you go I'll find a way to get there today No matter what And you don't have to call Matter of fact, I was there before you thought I'm Dan and, really uh, Dan and Eric created that one. It's a beauty. Oh, that's awesome. And so we're, we're going to get into that here in just a moment. But I want to I want to kind of, you know, as we're starting to maybe even look towards the end of this segment and the time on making the band, there was a lot of interesting and fun moments. I specifically remember when y'all heard your song playing, I believe it was on the radio. My memory is a little fuzzy. Was that when Liquid Dreams was playing? Yeah, we were still living in those apartments. That's, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> so what was that like for you getting to hear your song that you've put so much effort into actually playing on a major radio station? It's absolutely surreal. Like you want to jump around and scream like an idiot like Ashley did on the show but part of you just like sits down and kind of goes that's it like did I accomplish something is that what it's supposed to feel like because I did it like I did it <laughs> and how am I supposed to feel now what am I supposed to do it's just a weird I'm I'm very like internal with those kinds of things um, Trevor Trevor and Ashley like love just run and scream with excitement but I kind of sit down and just question like how am I supposed to feel right now it's right. because when you have something that you dream about for so long and then you accomplish it, there's it's it's a little bit of both. There's like this overwhelming sense of I did it, but there's also kind of this weird question of like it should have felt better, right? Or yeah, is there okay? Maybe the next one is the one that feel, like maybe I feel yeah. like I made it, and in I don't think any of us ever do feel like that. Sometimes you're just like you're kind of just surreal and humbled by the whole moment. And you know how many people around went into this one thing. So you can never take full ownership of it. You're just like, man, I, I'm just kind of in awe that I'm in this place with these people creating this product that's now on the radio. It's, and you, it's just like you flash your life kind of flashes to me. Like how did like all that work, all the, the dancing in your hallway when you're in like fifth grade, to the, you know, the, to the, mirror that's finally nighttime so we can see a reflection and like dreaming about being on stage or having a song on the radio it's like all those things flash by and that's why i think i sit down I'm like wow like we did it we're here okay okay what now <laughs> what's <Right>. next <laughs> yeah. i love it i love that you said that because i think you know personally in my life there's 
and I know this is true for everyone else because you, uh, as you just stated, is that you reach these milestones and it can be this conflict of emotion, this at once uh, euphoric joy and at the other almost, almost like a crash back down to reality where it's like, is this literally the thing I've been working my whole life towards? Is my life now peaked? Well, and that's, I, that's why I think I'm like, I, yeah, the goals, the goals are tough because when you do reach them, you expect to feel a certain like gratification. And if you don't feel that, or if you didn't get out of it, what you thought you're kind of left there going, well, then now what am I supposed to put my energy into? Right. Because all I thought Definitely. I was going to do was get that done and then be like, yeah, I'm there. But I'm like, never thought, cause I'm, I'm a kid, I guess. Like you never thought, what do you do now? Like, or you never believed it would happen. I don't know, but you do get there sometimes. You go well. Well, now what do I do? Okay, new goal. New time to find a new goal. <laughs> All right. I think one of the things that really helped me quite a bit from like just almost like an emotional, mental capacity is kind of getting to this point where it's like I've got it, and having I find myself doing this a lot more now. Ever since I reached this moment a couple of years ago, has been to like be excited and then have like a quiet moment of appreciation yeah. for the goal and the ach- achievement of it, and then internalize it and go, I, you know, I'm very glad at what this means. I'm very glad at what it's brought me, and I'm excited to see how I can take this achievement and apply it towards something next yeah and instead of it being like chasing the next thing it's more of like i'm building out my skill set and i'm ready for the next thing and that like it's still the same uh, like the same things are happening but that like little mental shift has empowered me to really kind of take on take on the next thing and i and i i feel the same is true for for you and for the group as well but that's just my speculation and it well and it's it's never ending because just this last year, we released um, our last album, the latest album, OTWN album, and uh, we put a single called Off. And for the first time in our career, we got late night television with James Corden. And uh, that kind of milestone to happen after being together 20 years and the success we did have, it was different kind of legitimacy where they didn't really want the TV show band on the late night shows. We weren't as legitimate as the other big selling artists or even artists that were less selling than us. Um, we just didn't fit the people that wanted to be on. So after 20 years to now do two records that are that we produced, that we wrote and, and, and the fans funded, to have that be what gets us on our first late night show, uh, couldn't feel better. That that's Those are kind of, those were the new kind of goals. It's like, all right, now what? Because yeah. uh, we're not gonna redo what O-Town did. We're a totally different group and our budgets are smaller and our manpower's way smaller, but we have talent, and, and small numbers can be powerful if used correctly. So we, you know, we do a lot of the stuff in house, and with a couple good friends, and, and got uh, like the best press run we've had since the All or Nothing days, uh, just last right. year. I love it. Well, as we're ending this segment, is there one specific memory that you had of making the band that really stuck out to you, maybe good or bad, that we haven't touched on? Uh, man, that's a tough one. There's so much to go through. Maybe, maybe let me do this. What has it, because one of the things that I know you probably still get, you talked about the all or nothing when all or nothing hit, I mean, that is still the song that people think about who are not O-Town, like townies, so to speak. People know the song without knowing us a lot. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So what has that meant to really have such a, um, a song that transcends the name of the group even? 
because it, it's different now looking back on it to have had hits that people know and and now you know be a band where we might not have that success again but when people especially now because we've been out more but when people say do you know the band o-town a lot of them be like all or nothing that song like to, to, to have that tie because i remember songs like that from when i was a kid certain brian adams songs i like uh they're just classics where I don't know. You can never take that song away from your memories, and that right. artist will always be important to you. Because I have, I have those artists where they might not have the long-lasting career, but man, I listen to that album out, and I listen to that song out, and to now see them living their lives, and they have a very similar take on it as I did. Like you can go out there and you can have a slew of hits, and then not continue, but still mean that much because of that that capsule in time in that person's life and what that song meant so to have that song to be lucky enough to have a song that big allows us to you know even just this last year go to the philippines and do shows for the first time they're, awesome. they're not having us over there for the new records because they haven't really gotten them really they're, they're asking right. us over there because from 20 years ago they still love that song and we still have not toured there when we showed up in the philippines they were screaming like it was back in, the, in 2001 Awesome. And and for that song, we, we know it's that song. We cannot be more blessed to have that song through the, you know, God allowing it, Clive Davis picking it, the writers, Rice Steve, like those guys writing it, and for us to be lucky enough to sing it has been a highlight of our career. I love that. All right. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. We'll be right back after this. Top. 
Triple double on lock. It's just the right size. This could take all night. Let's just stay Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Jacob. And now I'm really excited because O-Town is back. O-Town was gone. They're back again. Um, they're not Backstreet. They're O-Town, and they're back again. <laughs> there we go. I had to get another one in there. But I was telling you off air that I was super stoked about Lines and Circles when I found it because I had gotten Spotify. I was feeling nostalgic, wanted to put together a playlist of my favorite songs, including the O-Town songs. And when I went to the artist page and saw Lines and Circles, I freaked out because I went, I didn't realize O-Town was back and stop the presses. I need to let everyone know. And everyone went, what, all or nothing? And (laughs) And I was like, yes, they've got this badass track, Skydive. And so I want to talk about the time between making the band in O-Town ending and what life was like for you all the way up until, so I guess that was like 2003 to around 2013 or so. 10 years, yeah. 10 10 years, years. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the short of it, um, so I had a band called Jacob's Lock for a while and was doing that in San Diego. Everybody kept saying you would really do well with this in Nashville. So I packed up everything and went out to Nashville in 2006, a much different town than it is today. I miss that town. Um, I loved it. I stayed till 2011. I learned a whole lot about music, production, um, writing. I mean, all of it. Nashville was like a really, it was like O-Town was performance and TV show production and a lot of that. And then Nashville experience was just music. Very, very focused. Um, so that was a, that was a huge chunk of that time for me, six years there, playing, writing, recording. At the time, nobody was really feeling a country hip-hop crossover. That's what I was saying. <laughs> uh, and I had long threads, and they were like kind of scared by the look and literally told me, I don't really hear country radio playing anything with a beat like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> so if I was stuck it out longer, another who knows. But uh, I did. I made friends with John Rich and, and Charlie Panaccio at Reconnect out there, who's uh, co-manages O-Town with me. Um, and that only happened because throughout that time also I went back to school. I went back and got a business degree and was working on my master's uh, my MBA when, you know, learning about branding and, and trademarks and all the things we had and, and to have a band and a brand that has that much recognition around the world that somebody else spent hundreds of millions of dollars to do and knowing that you're one of five people that can pick that up and use that brand really started getting into my mind like, yeah. man, this is a shame that it has been 10 years. If we're going to do something, it's it's now or never because we had talked about it over the years and nothing ever just, nothing ever hit right. Um, it was just tough yeah. to get everybody together, living different places in the country, Dan getting married, get it, you know, having kids. It was just, it's tough. When something breaks up for that long, it is so hard to get it back together. Sure. Um, so with that in mind, there was somebody out in Europe that connected. He, he was a booking agent. He connected us with a label uh, who was interested in putting an O-Town song out and doing some summer tours. And we came across the, the song Skydive. Uh, the agent brought to us, uh, Billy, and everybody, for the first time in this amount of years, everybody agreed that they want to record this song. It was like the first unanimous, like, we got to record this song. So we did it, and when we did, the label right away said, we want a whole album. I'm seeing you again 
circles so we worked with the label on that that whole first album and uh, did a whole bunch of touring figured it out how to do it nowadays how to be o-town you know in, in 2016 at the time and how to do the touring and the stage show and everything had to be different and rethought we're doing all our own choreography so it was like man what's our show look like what do, like we have to rethink everything uh, and now it's a well-oiled machine like after that last after lines and circles we had done so much touring. We saw all the fans on the road. We saw their passion, their desire to help us continue to make music. So we said, all right, well, if you guys want another album, we're going to do a Kickstarter, and we need 60 grand. We'll do a whole album. And uh, or we'll, I think we asked for 50 or 60. Either way, we met the goal in seven hours. Jeez. And then almost doubled it by the time the month was over. Um, yeah, so it was overwhelming. Like, we don't need to just do an album. We need to make this one really good. So yeah. we went to work and we put it out in pieces. We put it out in halves because we realized it was taking so long for us to finish because we took it so seriously. We're like, let's we're gonna break it up into phases, and uh, we made sure that every one of these songs was something that really meant something to one of us, if not all of us, like the person who wrote it, and we all felt it, and something for the fans. Uh, they loved the the dance party sections of our show. We needed to put some more dance music out there because the hype is so fun. We have so much fun doing that together. We needed uh, and wanted to bring back another ballad, not just something that that was just another ballad. We wanted it to be something that made you cry. So Dan penned over, and then Dan and Eric penned uh, OTWN, which I think both are just awesome, awesome songs. So we've, you know, we, we've been straight... <laughs> Pre-Corona, we had just released this record and planned to hold this whole year of touring it. Uh, so all that's going to pick up next year. But we're incredibly excited because we we've, we've been touring this new album for about a year. And we've only done, I think, four or five songs from it. So we were looking to go and add the rest that the fans have been asking for. And, and now they're going to have to wait just a little longer. Right. We'll get to it. I love it. When... Something that I, I think I already know the answer to, but I wanted to to ask anyways, is when you started recording, getting back in the studio for Lines and Circles, was it like riding a bike or was it a little bit more difficult now that you were one member down and you're kind of reconfiguring what your updated sound is? Well, it was, yeah, it was like riding a four-man bike. So, you know, individually, everybody kind of stayed in it a little bit. I, like I said, I was in the studio a whole lot. Dan, not so much, but Dan's just the man, and he can sing anything at, at any time. Right. Um, it wasn't so much about how, uh, individually, again, it was about how do we sound as a group. 
Sure. What does O-Town sound like in 2016 at the time? What does an O-Town song sound like? And we went through a litany of like, you know, uh, is it guitars and, and more acoustic kind of jam bandy sound? Is it more of a DJ club type sound? Is it like, where do we ride the line? And so we had to kind of re-get to know each other, what we were listening to, what we all liked together. Uh, which was, it was fun this time. There was no arguing about it. It was actually a beautiful thing to come together as adults and get a second chance to make music with a whole lot more knowledge behind it. I love that too, in that you're re-getting to know each other and yourself and the band. And I think there's a lot that can be overlooked if you're thinking about a group reforming or coming back several years later. I mean, the entire pop music industry has shifted in that time frame, you know, in the 10, 10, 11, 12 years. And, and in addition, you want to make sure, like there's a couple, there's a lot of things to consider, right? So it's like, you want to stay true to what made people love you in the first place while evolving the sound to match what people are used to hearing. And it's not just a total nostalgic feel, but also opening yourself up to bringing in new fans without alienating the old fans. And so it's like, like you said, that's a fine, fine line. line yeah, we've worked sure. very hard at that line. I think we've done it pretty well because you know, truthfully, these last two albums are the first albums I can say I listened to. I listened to those O-Town records. I put them on and have a lot of fun listening to them. Um, and I think we all do because we, because we compromised in a way where we're not, we're not compromised. We pushed each other. It was like, look, I know you're feeling this, but I would feel it more like this. And, when you try and get everybody to agree that it's good, you do come out with a better product instead of just being like, well, I like it, so deal with it. None of us had that attitude. We had like, look, if ever, if we're going to pick a song, even if I write 100% of it, everybody splits the publishing so that we know we're picking the best song, not because we want the person to get paid or, or you know we're fighting over money. So we cut that right out. And right from the beginning, it became about the best song and making it the best. So there were songs that I came to the table with um, and Dan, you know, he'd be like, look, this whole chorus, perfect. This whole, this, great. Can I do, can I change these three lyrics here? I'm like, I don't know. What are they? <laughs> well, like, you know, w when you have people care and go, I want, I just want it to be better. And you're like, dang, that was, that was a better lyric. Sweet. And like, I don't care about you rewriting things because I don't care about keeping credit. This is about making it the best for the band. And you know, I think we've done that. And I'm really proud of the music we've put out. I know the fans have been digging it. We get the responses. Uh, and we're stoked because we thought of them the whole time. And then you play it for them and you see them cry. And you're like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. How did you cry? Right. <laughs> exactly. And there's that feeling, right, that we talked about at the beginning. Either make them, make them, make them laugh or make them cry. Make them dance, make them cry. You know, and, and it's, it's full circle at that point. And I, one of the things that uh, Tony Luca had talked about on his episode as far as advice – that he wished he had learned early on in his music career was to when you have people that care so much about your song and your product and you and they say these things like love this love this love this let's change this because i want to take it to the next level listen to them and collaborate because the worst thing you can do is be like well no this is my song i've done this like full stop this is it this is it's not open for debate or discussion and to hear that the group is collaborating that way you can tell in the final product because it evokes this 
essence, which is difficult to find when you do have people kind of standing steadfast in, in. Yeah. And, and, and everybody was shooting for the highest point too. So Dan had written the song over and he kept it to himself because he was very critical and is very critical of his own work. Right. So I'm, I'm badgering the guys because we have been working in this album for a year and I think I pitched 20 songs. We might've taken three of them, which is fine. But nobody else is pitching songs, and nobody wants to take songs from other writers. So I'm getting like, I'm the timeline guy. Like, hey guys, right? Sure. We are behind. I don't know what you think you're waiting for. We're asking for songs, you're not giving them, but you don't like the ones that are written. So you're gonna have to figure it out. And Dan goes, well, I wrote this song called Over about a month ago. I've just been trying to tweak it. I don't, I'm not really sure if it's good. I'll play it for you. And the way the song that he played it was, it was done. The song was done. We didn't rewrite anything. He played it, and it was quiet for a second, and I just kind of looked up and went, you asshole. Like, <laughs> the amount of stress that you're putting me under to keep timelines, and you're sitting on a song like this when you could have been writing the second one. What are you fiddling around with it for? <laughs> Give it over here. We'll, like, it's done. It's done. Right. Let's let's record this song. So he laughed, of course, but, you know, that song over, like, how it sounds now, was basically how he had it, and it's just a... Banger. I mean, I just love that song. He hit it on, on the head of that one. I, that's awesome. I absolutely love that. And I want to know, you know, from kind of thinking a little bit more, pivoting back a bit to the business aspect, and you talked about the the brand. Do you own the, the copy? Do y'all own the trademark for O-Town at this point? Um, no, it, it's actually something I'm not legally allowed to discuss anymore because we had a pretty oh, public battle with Motown at the time. If, I don't know if you remember, but Motown, when we yeah. went to trademark O-Town, Motown uh, Records had a big problem with it. And we battled pretty publicly for a while and then were able to come to an agreement where we are able to be O-Town. And that was our main goal, was not having to change our name after all these years, not having right. to rebrand or have right. to do the Prince thing and be a symbol or, you know, right. like we just wanted the right to use our name and we were able to agree. So. Perfect. Yep. Um, I want to know, cause so let's get into a little bit of your personal life. So you've got, you, you're a dad now. What has that experience been like for you over these last couple of years? This is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, dude, it is the coolest thing in the world. I, I'm very like, again, take this with a grain of salt. Cause I'm not trying to, diminish anybody's pain through this COVID quarantine thing. I'm just telling you my personal experience is I'm not sick and haven't been. And I've been able to spend the whole year of my second year of my daughter's life, this whole year basically at home at the beach on vacation, um, yeah. soaking it up. I mean, I never saw this kind of thing happening, but to, to be with her this much, the first summer I've been home in six years, uh, to be able to spend a summer here in these critical years when she's two and like her words are daily just flowing these new phrases and I, I would just be brokenhearted to miss any of it. So this whole year going the way it has has been a blessing for me and my family the way that we just in the light of being able to spend this kind of quality time together. All saying that hoping we get back to normal soon because uh, cost money to live and, and diapers cost money and stuff. Right. But but you know, look. I look at the the good side of it. The, I look at the positive. Like, no, I didn't want to take a year off of work. No, I don't. You know, want to be quarantined and have to wear a mask and not see certain people and have this all happen. None of it. But if I'm stuck doing it, I'm I'm looking at the bright side and being able to spend this whole year with her. She's just the best. 
I I think you're yeah you're absolutely right. I mean that I, I can echo that as well with just my two kiddos and and just being able to really be here because it, you know I mean it was I just think about all the time commuting to the office or flying out on business or not being here, not physically being in the house with them. And technology is great. You know, it's great being able to video chat and we're all thankful for that. It's great, but it doesn't replace the in-person interactions and it never will. I'm terrified of what it's going to do though for next year when I actually oh. leave. Because right. I mean, if I get on our golf cart just to go around the block to like just grab a coffee she screams bloody murder and throws her body against the front door because she thinks she wants to go on the ride i'm like oh my god if i actually have to leave and i have to hear her yelling for daddy like that as i leave it's gonna break my heart now i know how dan felt all these years because he was the first to have kids he was like dude it's so hard it's so hard to leave i'm like not up you're gone for three yeah. days like we're not in the military bro like come on we're gonna be home after a weekend of fun but i get it now yeah, yeah, yeah. It still rips your heart out. You're like, oh, this poor little thing doesn't understand, and I don't want to leave her. She's so sad. Right. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> my uh, for a while, my my wife and I were alternating going to having to travel for work to both Boston, Massachusetts, and Austin, Texas. And so my my daughter kept kept thinking they were the same place. She thought we were just Boston, pronouncing Austin. them differently. Yeah. <laughs> And so she kept just saying, so she, she knew that Austin was in Texas, you know, she's got like the Texas, we're, you know, in Texas. So everybody learns everything about Texas before everything else. Cause we're not egotistical or anything, but she knows exactly where Austin is and is confused why she can't come with and why we have to get on a plane because it's just a, you know, a couple hour drive down. We've been there. Why can't she come too? And we had to explain, no, Boston is in Massachusetts and that's up here. And it gets to the point where she's just giving the side eye and thinking like, you've got, no, you're just trying to trick me. me. Yeah. You're trying to make it, you're trying to, you know, free yourself of some guilt and I'm not going to let you off the hook. And so, yeah, it's, you know, and then you're talking to coworkers and they're like, what? It's just a couple days. Like you're going to be back. And it's like, but it's not, you, you don't know. have kids. Do you? <sighs> right. No, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now I, I'm curious about, you know, we've got, um, I, we, we're at the point where you've got OTWN. You're going to, when things return back to normal, going to um, go out on tour and really hype and promote the record and, and do all this. But I want to talk a little bit about what do you want your legacy to be at the end of the day? Well, I, I, I do want it to be much more than music. Um, sure. I want, I want the music to be powerful, but the life that I led and the people that actually know me, um, which is a crazy time to be thinking about it because this, this whole year is really focused on that. You know, it, it seemed frivolous to sit down and write a song about partying. Yeah. It just did. Uh, I haven't written anything. I haven't really worked too much some on other people's songs because that's easy. But coming out creative, creatively, it was like, I don't know. I, I, I want to say something more. I feel like there's more to say. I just don't have it in my head yet or in my heart yet. So I'm just kind of watching the world do its thing and, and you know i'll find my place in it next i don't know if it's uh if it's always throwing the party or if it's going to be something a little more um spiritual minded or something you know that i'm just not sure i'm not sure uh, i'm right in this weird place with yeah i think with a lot of, a lot of other people are too 
Yeah. You know, we were talking about like buying a house this year and with the way things have gone and are going, then I don't know. It seems like, well, let's put that off too. Let's just, the schools, the school systems and you're thinking about a daughter getting raised in the school system. It just seems like there's so much craziness out there. It's hard to think too far past this year and what next year is going to be like. So legacy for me is more just like, I, I want to be inspirational to people the way other people have inspired me to be a good dad, to be a good partner, to be, um, you know, a hard worker more than anything, to be honest, to treat people with love and respect, to follow Christ. Like those things are really important to me and, and more so now than even in the past, uh, just because of the state of the world has kind of gotten me to, it's, it's the state of the world and the combination of being responsible for a life in this yeah, world. Yes. That's different, right? Because yes. I could, I could turn a blind eye to a lot of things, but when you're like, I'm raising a child and safety is key. And, and yes. respect for others is key. And, you know, this is, this is stuff that's like, I don't know, I think about daily now. No, that's so true. And I know that I've <clears throat> said this before as well, but m my purpose for existing shifted the day that my oldest kid was born. Yeah. And yeah. my thought process and that, you know, people used to always say like, you don't know what it's like until you have a kid. And I'm like, okay, right. Like whatever. Like I don't. And do that's mean? why I say, then don't tell me. Right. <laughs> that's what I would say. Then don't tell me. Right. Don't waste your time telling me if I'm not going to understand. I'll right. wait when I get there. Right. Exactly. But it was just holding her in my arms for the first time. I realized I went, every decision I'm making and everything that I'm doing is now no longer for me. It's for you when I'm not here. Right. And that whole perspective just started this whole thought process of thinking through like, well, what does it mean as far as like a working career? What does it mean as far as like the life I want to live, the examples I'm setting, the people I'm See, interacting with? right in the middle of that right now. It's tough to answer exactly. that question because you're like, I just got dumped a massive responsibility on my shoulders that I never even knew how I would feel about it. Right. Like I didn't know I had that capacity to love. Like, so your my mind's like recently blown and I'm still trying to figure out like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a heavy thing to be someone's father. Yeah. It's, and I, and I, I think we should take it that seriously because these are the next leaders and the next people, you know, out in the streets, either fighting for love or fighting each other. Like the, this is a huge issue right now. And I want her to, to know the good and know the right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, kind of a tricky place for me because I'm so new. I'm, I'm just right. for the first time, like when we were looking at houses just this year, I had to look up the school systems. Right. I never thought about the school systems. I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be downtown because that's where right. the party is and that's where the, you know, the riverfront and all the, the, the concerts are. That's where we're going to be. And, you know, the school system's like a three out of ten. I'm like, nope, okay, well, that's out. Like, <laughs> before I would have never even thought to look at the school system. Case in point, like everything, every decision is now thought with a different, like seen through a different lens. Yeah. And it can be, you know, one of the things that I, I touched on at the beginning was really wanting to make sure that I'm leaving the world a little bit better than I found it and trying to have these types of conversations where we're talking about, you know, art and love. And yeah, we're talking about music, but we're talking about so much more than that. We're talking about life and spirituality and really these connections that we share and as a, as a collective human race and how we can push ourselves to be better and, and strive for more. And that's, 
you know, what I want people to take away from this is it's great getting to hear this conversation, but like now feel that connection because at the end of the day, we're all humans. We all want to love and live and have hopes and dreams and want to connect with someone and build a family, however that looks. I mean, there's a lot that we all want to do. And I think if we took a moment and realized that and broke bread and had conversations, we would be able to make a lot more one-on-one progress, which would lead to a lot of positive. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're as far as part as, as the news or other people that would like to think that human nature is as far as part as as it is, as it's being portrayed. You know, you want to believe in the good in people. You want safety. You want your family fit. Like we all want those same things. Um, And I, and I believe that, Whatever is going on right now, it will eventually turn out for good because all things do. It's just, uh, it's crazy to watch. Where where is it going to go from here? You know, we're such a weird place to be. And I I was around for nine eleven. I remember we had a show in New York City for that date. Um, so we were stuck in Manhattan, and I saw the world change that day as well. It's just crazy as life goes on to now have those stories like our grandparents did. We're like, I remember where I was at Pearl Harbor. I remember when these riots happened. I remember. And like the world changes and typically gets better through the burning, but um, I just hate to see this kind of world that I just brought a precious little daughter into doing what it's doing. Definitely. You know, and so if music, if music isn't, if party music isn't what people want right now, which I'm saying I don't, I don't think they do, then my passion for music might drive me to make something a little more inspirational. But um, yeah, right now I'm just kind of sitting back in, in awe. I think like a lot of people are kind of shocked with right. where we're at. Yep. Definitely. Well, last question as we end up this one, I want to know if there's somebody listening who wants to break into the music industry, uh, what is a piece of advice or a mantra that you have for yourself that you would like to impart upon them? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a big believer in putting in the work and that sounds cliche, but there's so much work out there to be done that you don't even know about. I've put in 25, 30 years now of music. Damn, I'm getting old. 30 years of music practice and with every kind of lesson, man. Classical, like I said, Italian stuff to piano and saxophone and clarinet and guitar and Nashville and the pop stuff. Every time I'm in a new session with a different producer, I pick up a new trick and a new tool. Uh, You just have to be putting in the work. If you're young and you want to do this, there's so many (laughs) tutorials on YouTube. You can Seriously. learn anything you want on YouTube. So you got no excuse to not be a producer or to, you know, I know if you can't afford the tools, but find people that, and organizations that will allow you to use those music tools. Cause I know there's in each city, there's uh, places for, for kids that are homeless and things to, to actually work in San Diego in, in studios and you can get hands on gear. So look around and try and find places if you don't have gear, because you can teach yourself a lot on YouTube hands on and, if you have that knowledge and you have the obviously you have to have the passion to have the, to get that kind of knowledge, I think you'll be in a good place because really the people that put in the work, you can talk about it and get lucky. You can be a singer on some lucky track that somebody found that some producer made you sound great because he has his vested interest in it. And then if, if you're not doing in the work, they're going to leave you in the dust and then you're waiting for the next team to help you out. Like you have to be self-sufficient as, as self-sufficient as possible. And when you are, other people want to work with like-minded people other people that put in that kind of work will want to work with you but i would stay away from thinking that this is me 
I would stay away from the social media quick success route and thinking that the next picture will be what does it or the next TikTok video will be what does it. I mean, you're really not learning a lot about music if you're just like, doing it for social media's sake. There's a lot of math to learn. There's a lot of chord progression changes, harmony rules. There's a lot to learn. So you got to dig in. Definitely. I love it. Jacob, thank you so much. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my social media, Jacob Underwood 7. Um, you're mostly just going to get a lot of baby pics and spearfishing pics. It's my new hobby. Love it. Well, I've been doing it since I was a kid. Like I got certified scuba diving when I was 12 years old. And now being home for this summer, I have found myself in the water spearfishing like four to five times a day. So you're gonna, it's going to be hard to go back to work now. <laughs> I'm feeding my family. Right. Well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Jacob, thank you again so much. It's been an absolute delight. All right. Likewise. Likewise, man. It's nice talking to you. Let's do it again. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one more time is Jacob Underwood. So 